0: Hey everyone, welcome to Hail Reaper, a new place for the Red Rising fan community. Before we get going, I'd like to tell you about how we got started. In summer 2019, after finishing Dark Age, I felt inspired to create something that would show my love and appreciation for Pierce Brown's world. Two days later, I had a skeleton of an idea. I called my oldest friend and pitched him the thought of a Red Rising podcast. He was super down, but he had never read a single page of the series. But as you can guess, that quickly changed. He's sitting next to me now, and has become a huge Red Rising fanatic, just like the rest of us. From the start, we asked ourselves what the goal of our podcast should be. Our answer to that question is to make fun and rich content that will engage the Red Rising fan community. We hope we've created something worthy of Pierce Brown's incredible series and its readers. Now, let's go into the minds of Lycos.
1: Welcome to the Helldiver Holographic training tutorial. As a helldiver, you will be issued a protective Fry Suit. It is imperative that your suit stay sealed at all times. With Mars Geothermal Gradient of 8 degrees Celsius per kilometer, ambient temperatures in the shafts can reach up to 100 degrees Celsius and the drills 590 degrees Celsius. In the event you are caught in machinery, you've been issued a sling blade to sever and pulverize the ensnared appendage. The blade will also be useful when encountering pit vipers. Growing to as much as 5 meters in length and 16 centimeters in diameter, these 68 kilogram creatures will sense heat and burrow into flesh. Work expediently, as it is vital for you to reach the day's quota of helium-3 regardless of breakdown or catastrophic event. Proceed to Lesson 1.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode one of Hill Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend, Jeremy. Hello there. You ready to do this? I'm I'm ready. Cool. Well, I have a few announcements to get to you real quick. The first announcement being that we are a fan podcast. We have no affiliation with Pierce Brown, Red Rising, or Random House Publishing. We are just fans that love to talk about Red Rising. That's it. The second one is a spoiler alert. We are going to be talking about Red Rising in depth, obviously. And so if you haven't read the story, I would like recommend you go ahead and read the story before you listen to the podcast. And We're not going to say that at the top of every episode. These are sweeping declaration announcements. So, and we're not going to be every episode by two, three, four, five. We're not going to say, hey, spoiler alert, like, just know that we're going to be talking about Red Rising. So anyway, we want to do a few quick get to know you questions so people can get used to our voices. So Jeremy, the first question I have for you is, what is your favorite book in the Red Rising
1: series? Well, I assume everyone's going to agree with me here that it's Iron Gold. It's not. And no one agrees with you. (laughs) I know I'm in the minority on this, but it is my we,
0: favorite. We took a BuzzFeed quiz on this question. I think what was it, like 9% of people actually answered. It was like their favorite It was favorite very book. low. Yeah. Even maybe less than that. So less than 10%. So no, um, my favorite is Golden Sun, which is the majority winner, which I believe is just an awesome book. It's full of so much action. Why do you, why do you love Iron Gold so much? Because I've never gotten
1: a very proper explanation for why you love that book so much. I think one of my favorite parts is Ephraim's storyline and his, and his character arc yeah, yeah, in, in the book and it starts involving the syndicate um, and I just I'm really into it. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. You like, you like gangs. I like gangs. Cool. Yes. Good enough. Good enough answer. So how about this
0: one? Favorite character in Red Rising? Like the whole series not just the first book the whole series. Yeah that's,
1: that's Mustang. Mustang?
0: Yeah that's easy. Okay I have a cop out answer and then I have a second answer. Okay. Um, Darrow my favorite character. I feel like that's just like too basic though. It is. <laughs> but I really love him. Like <laughs> I love him. Like I love Batman and I have a tattoo of Batman on my leg. So, but my real, my other answer would be secondary would be Victra.
1: Okay. That's I, a good choice. I'll yeah. That I, one.
0: I love Victra. So, um, okay. Third question. If you could be a character from the series, which character would you be? I would be Severo. And why?
1: And why? Yeah. Because he's rad, he's crass, he just kind of lurks around the, the bushes, <laughs> you know. Well, oh, that sounds creepy. I know. <laughs> it's like this whole story's going on. And you could you could easily lurk around in the bushes and be rad, I guess,
0: without being Severo.
1: No, he's just a funny character because, he, you know, he's a lot of people's favorite character. Yeah. But exactly. he's hardly in the book, really. You know, in the first book. Yeah, it, yeah,
0: I would think that, and I'm talking, I, I meant to say like all the series, not just like the first book, but all series. But you'd still go Severo. Yeah, I'll still stick with okay. Severo um my pick would be like either it's kind of a cop-out answer either clown or screwface. so i'd still be a howler interesting okay here's why okay i i have a lot less to do but i still get to do all the cool stuff no pressure no pressure <laughs> just get to have fun You're you alone. don't like pressure no just all get right. to be along for the ride i can just chill and like get to see all the all the like adventures so let's go ahead and explain the show real quick so people kind of know our format i know you got to hear who are our, our voices now i got to get to know us a little bit But we want to also explain what we're doing here. So the show format each week will be us diving into a new character. So we're going to take not we're not going to go chapter to chapter, but more character to character. And we're calling these kind of a linchpin characters, meaning like ones that really move the story forward and kind of discussing what makes them special and and kind of talking about them in in ways that we think are just unique and fun. So there's only one place to start. You can only start with Daryl. I and most of the people listening had an experience of getting to know Darrow over the course of a five book series. We, we've we grown to understand him. We, we love him. We root for him. And that's all as the Reaper. But when you go back to the beginning, when you go back to Red Rising and open up the first few pages, you're not encountering that character. You're counting a completely different one. And it's just Darrow of Lycos, not the Reaper. So
1: how is that experience for you when you go back and to start the story over again? It's a tough experience, Darrow is a different kind of protagonist to me. Uh, Usually, you know, you'll get like a Luke Skywalker, Frodo Baggins, or say Harry Potter. You know, someone who's kind of starts off in a vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. And they're generally going to be like an underdog. Uh, And I think you can really kind of impart your own self upon them. Uh, You like to see yourself in an underdog situation and you can kind of grow with the character, develop, and then, you kind of see yourself uh, achieving great things alongside them. Yeah. Uh, but are like, I'm unlike- doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Darrow isn't like that at all. Um, you know, at least when you, when you come into this story, the scope you're given is that, you know, Mars is an uninhabited planet mm-hmm. and that you're just kind of underground in this, this realm and this is what exists are these mining colonies where the Reds kind of exist with, you know, one magistrate that's a copper. Yeah. And within that, that kind of arena he's playing in, he's number one. Like, there's, he's already at the top. There's really nowhere to go. And he knows it. Yes. <laughs> you know, and he's, he's, um, he's kind of full of himself in, in a way. Uh, he talks about his hands a lot. He, you know, he kind of talks himself up. And he's very proud of what he is and what he achieves and, and the way he provides. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a, it's a bit of a hard character to kind of, um, it's kind of come alongside, I guess, at first.
0: I would agree with you. He's like a tough hang. You know, like, I don't know. Like When you read this book at the start, I was like, the first time I cracked it open, the very first time I read it, I was like, dude, I would not want to, like, hang out with this guy. Like, he is not that typical protagonist where it's just, like, humble. And if you want to... You have, like, this... Almost, like, this affection or affinity for the character because they've been downtrodden or they've they've gone through an experience that is, like, really heavy. And Darrow has. And he actually says that right away. But... He kind of dismisses it and makes it secondary to how great he is. Like you know, my tongue, my fingers flicker faster than tongues of fire, and that's right. like he's just boasting at you, the reader, for the first experience of the book, which is really strange because if you compare that with the Reaper, he doesn't do that as much. It feels like he's kind of going out of his way to tell you how great he is. I'm 16, I'm the youngest hell diver anyone can remember. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm married to a wife that I would do anything for because x y and z because you know he's he's at least telling us that she's amazing in her own right he's telling her that you know she's beautiful and you know he's known her since they're their sweethearts childhood sweethearts they have this kind of like they're he believes they're in perfect lockstep with each other and so it's like yeah like okay bro like you got it all figured out like that's cool for you (laughs) but for us like as readers like it it makes us feel a little detached from the character itself
1: yeah it's hard to endear
0: yourself to that kind of guy for sure but i think that obviously it's intentional Obviously, Pierce Brown has a reason for doing this, like really? the author. He's not hes not just, like, letting the pen write for himself. Like, he wants to establish that the character is different. He has a different way of thinking about his universe, his, his, his land, I guess, like the land of Lycos, which is an underground mining colony. And he, you know, he's hes taking, like, shots at his uncle, Uncle Nero. He's taking kind of cracks at Old Barlow, like another miner. And, and, he, and he, whether that's internally or externally, he's just kind of always kind of giving demerits to those people around him to I think maybe elevate himself but also he's 16 like what 16 year old doesn't have a self-righteous kind of attitude in general especially one like you said we've established like he's a hell diver this is this is rare you're one out of like what one out of 200 people
1: yeah I mean it's like pro athlete status mm-hmm. in, in society
0: yeah you can equate that to definitely a pro athlete.
1: Not, not the Full society, I'll make a yeah, yeah. Good, <laughs> yeah, good distinction. Just, just
0: the red society, yeah. Like the society, the society we know when we open the book, because right. like that's the one thing that's really glaring on the reread is that this world is so small, and it's just this little like mining community of Lycos. and that's all you have. You don't have an idea what the limits are. You don't have an idea what people can do or be. It's just that you're just kind of dropped in on this world that kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to you initially, and and it makes a lot more sense because it it kind of starts in like under the microscope. And then you just kind of keep taking each chapter, you're taking a new step backwards to see and explore what the world can become. And you do that through different characters as well. One thing I want to kind of talk about in like the scope of what Pierce Brown is trying to do is he's really trying to establish who Darrow is by, by saying, this is my character. This is my protagonist. These are the differences between him and other people. And they're not as easy to pick up on when you read it for the first time. And I know most people who are listening haven't, you know, they, they've read more, the book probably more than once, or at least these chapters, they remember them at sorts. But I want to make some call-outs to specific parts where Pierce Brown is trying to give you those hints. He's trying to say, like, this is who my protagonist is, and this is, what I, this is how I've made him. That first one in, like, chapters one and two, being that scene where he does the 100-meter drop, which is, I know you know, is one of my favorite scenes in the oh, first yeah. kind of—yeah, it's fun— it's the first action scene we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, it's just kind of, it just kind of explodes off the page, at least for me. I know, and I can't
1: help but visualize what this would look like. Oh, no, it's, yeah, it's a big, exciting scene with the claw drill, vertical mine shaft, and, and the whole works. It's it's fun. So thank you for that. So you set me up. So
0: it essentially is, you know, you have a character wanting to do something bold. So take a risk to win the Laurel in order, to, because in this way, this is his provider kind of aspect. Like he, right. he thinks of himself as a, a provider for his clan, and, and there's nobility to that, you know, which is a red lie that he's bought. But either way, he believes it. So then he goes and says, screw it. I don't care what this, these guys in my clan say. I don't care what my uncle, un- Uncle Nero says. I'm jumping down here. I'm going to scan this gas pocket. I'm going to make this happen. So he does. He, but 100 meters for people that don't know what that is, and this is a vertical drop. It's 328 feet. I didn't know that. I had to look that up. But then to put it in even further context, I wanted to visualize it a little bit more and the visual of that is that's a 30 story building yeah that's huge <laughs> yeah can you, so have you jumped what if, what's the biggest thing you've jumped off of before the high dive at, the, at high school <laughs> which is like what <laughs> 20 feet probably yeah. that um and then for me it's been like probably a like 15 foot cliff into a lake I mean and I think I've jumped off like a a really shallow one story like one like a, a shed which is even like a single story it's like a shed into a pool which is like ten feet right so 30-story building, 328 feet. It's a vertical drop. He's obviously not free-falling. He's,
1: he's, you know, he has... No, which, he's he's like, it's like he's parkour or something, you which know, makes bouncing even off cooler. the walls.
0: It makes it even cooler. Because if, if he's just yeah.
1: free-falling, there's no skill in that. Because, I, I always think of, like, the opening scene of Casino Royale. Yeah. You know, that character could uh, be the stunt double for Darrow. In for the sure. Air. Let's make it happen. Let's call him <laughs> up. Um, so, no, but it makes it cooler that he is kind of
0: parkouring down this vertical drop rather than just free falling. Cause again, there's no skill in free falling, but there's skill in like toggling back and forth between the wall mine. And then also his claw drill without getting burned without falling and breaking his legs. But he's able to get all the way down to that end of that hundred meters, scan that gas pocket. Then he gets trapped and you know, his fry suit gets stuck. And then he takes out that sling blade slices through it within centimeters of his own foot, which also requires incredible amount of skill, agility, and pers- like, uh, what's that perception per- precision there we go precision, yeah. and he's just cool he's good and he you was know, like he got a little bit of a burn on his hand for all that all yeah. that and when you read that for the first time that's just i think it's cool I can't remember my initial thoughts
1: yeah but it, you know, for for me though it's it's because you're coming into the context of a sci-fi story mm-hmm. right if when you when you go and you grab the book off the bookshelf at the at the store you're grabbing it in the science fiction book mm-hmm. you know in section. so Anything's game. Barnes and Noble, be a sponsor. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Um, but anything's game, you know. So when they tell you that this red is acting like Ninja Spider Man, yes, you know, jumping down, you're just like, oh, okay, that's what these red people do. Yeah. And you know, Pierce Brown doesn't directly tell you. I think you were alluding to this a little earlier that he's different. Like that's not normal. Mm-hmm. He just drops these little nuggets that kind of, uh, kind of open that. reality kind of uh, you know down the road and you you know one of the quotes they use is about uh, you know his wife Io talks about his brother Kieran and says you know Kieran wasn't afraid for you in that situation he was afraid of you I mean he freaked him out with his, his, his crazy abilities yeah he's so radically different than
0: the rest of the people he's around it's like this is this is so different it's scary it's so unique it's scary I think this is my thoughts i don't know if this pierce brown trying to say this but i really do think that pierce brown is trying to establish that in this scene that daryl possesses the abilities of a gold or maybe even obsidian you know he's that he is such a physical freak of nature such he's such like a he has so many tools already within his repertoire to be able to do something like this that he's establishing that he's just kind of like he outranks, uh, physically outranks the rest of the people around him by a long shot. And I mean, I think that quote that you mentioned also backs it up too. But um, I think that's just like my personal kind of interjection there. The other thing I think is like, we kind of talked about it already, but I want to like highlight it a little bit more, is just like the contrast against Uncle Nero specifically, but just the rest of the Reds that are in that mind around him in the first couple chapters. Like they just seem so status quo about their lives. So mm-hmm. just willing to just be like, we're going to go to work. We're going to get off work. And we're going to go drink. And that is like, and you know, repeat, rinse, repeat, you know, like, let's just do this again and again and again. And we don't really want to take risks. We don't want to die, you know, and that's like rightfully so. They shouldn't have to feel like they need to risk their lives every day they work, which they already inherently are. But I think that that's like the difference with Darrow is like when you get it into his head, and you're in that internal dialogue. Pierce Brown is trying to tell you he's not just being a jerk. He's not just saying I'm better than these guys. He's also, he has the, he can kind of back it up, you know, and he's showing you how he can back it up. So I, I don't know about you, do you see that contrast that Pierce Brown's trying to illustrate between just like even like the thinking between
1: uh, Darrow and the rest of the Reds? No, I, I do. Um, Darrow, he seems very upbeat, you know, in his attitude. Um, I, I, we talked about a little bit earlier. He, he is happy to be there. You know, he's yeah. in, a, he is in a position that he's very proud to be. And... You have Neryl, who is kind of representative of the Reds in, in general. And you know, they're very weathered and just beat up over time. You know, it talks about his labored blinks mm-hmm. and, and things that, you know, Brown just kind of gives you to make you understand like like these guys have just been beat down. You yeah. know, and, and if there's is dissent within the community, they're put up in the gallows. Yeah. You know, they're just done away with.
0: And Daryl doesn't really see the world that way. He doesn't see it like as just something you kind of go and you do and then you die. And I feel like that's kind of I don't know, maybe that's, I think that's Nero's reality. I know Nero has his own, like, storyline and his own kind of specialness to him. We're not going to talk about that right now. We're talking about Darrow. But at the same time, like, I just feel like he's, he does kind of, he becomes a totem in that moment for the Reds. And when you open the book, like I said, that's all you know. You just think of Nero as just kind of just a sack of crap, I guess, in a way. Like, he's just, (laughs) this is life. This is like, don't do anything. Don't risk anything. We're just, we're just going to, do our jobs, and we're going to get out of here, okay? It's like, just chill out, Darrow. Like, that's just, like, thinking. And Darrow's like, why would I do that? Because I am so much more gifted than that. I know it. So there's definitely, like, there's, like, physically and also in thought. And there's the last thing I want to touch on with, like, how Pierce Brown tries to, like, show you how different of a character Darrow is or kind of elevate him above the rest of the Reds and why he's the protagonist is the first line in the, in the chapter one, which is, like, one of my favorite quotes is, the first thing you should know about me is that I'm my father's son. When they came for him, I did as he asked. I did not cry. Not when the society televised the arrest. Not when the Golds tried him. Not when the Greys hanged him. The first thing, you know, the first thing you should know about me is my father's son. He's establishing that right off the bat. And then he talks about how he didn't cry. And and Pierce Brown, of course, we will talk about this more later, but he's kind of famous for not giving you all the information at once. And so Darrow doesn't tell you the entire story of how his father died. We kind of later learn through the reading the first few chapters, it's because he was... Putting on a protest, uh, peaceful protest rather, and to increase food rations, but that ultimately got him arrested and killed. And so, in that, at one point, Dale Darrow's father comes to him and says, "You know, you're going to see some crazy stuff, and you're going to see me probably meet my end." You know, I'm assuming that's the language he's using of some sort. Right. And then he's like, "But don't cry." And I don't know why you ask a six-year-old that question, or tell them like that, or give them that demand rather. But he does it. He holds firm in the promise. And that establishes something so great, that emotional resolve, that mo- I would call emotional bravery of Daryl being able to like, look into this moment and just watch his father get hanged and carry out the promise that he made to him. And it mentions, uh, by comparison, his older brother, who's nine, cries like a baby, which is, I mean, rightfully so. Like, yeah, yeah he's a ten- he's not even a 10-year-old. Like, what kid should watch their parent and just not weep, like, hysterically? But he's different again. He is different. And Pierce Brown is trying to show you that in this moment.
1: Yeah, he is. He's definitely different in that. Um, You can ask a six year old all you want, you know, whether or not you're actually going to get them to not cry at at your death as a parent is probably very rare. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think like you you talked a lot about emotional resolve and more of a kind of the, the positive spin on that, but there's definitely something negative to be gleaned from that as well. Um, You know, he struggles throughout the book series, as we'll continue to kind of unravel, but he has this kind of emotional deadness to him and this detachment. And he, like I said, he struggles to connect with certain characters down the road, Mm -hmm. and it kind of plagues him. Now, at the same time... You know, that's a very valuable asset. I mean, you know. When you're a warmonger, yeah. It yeah. It's pretty war- valuable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go to serial killer, so we'll just yeah, stick with warmongers. Yeah. You know, you you have to have that emotional detachment. So it definitely comes in handy in some ways, but but he, he does struggle to connect with people. It's his world though. Like I think that's that's the world of Lycos. It is so it's so
0: dead, inherently dead, you know, like their lives are just oppressed in all in all forms and fashions. So I think that it almost makes sense. But the thing about Darrow is that it's special, is that he learns those things along the way. Sometimes he learns them in negative negatively. You know, if a, a friend or, you know, someone dies, and he has to learn how to react to them properly, you know, and kind of uh, emote and develop empathy for that. So I think it's not something that, it's not a trend that lasts for the duration of the story, but here and now, maybe you're right. Maybe it is kind of a fault rather than something that I look at it as, as a positive, where he's, He's creating a promise to his father, his dying wish essentially, and able to carry that out. I think that it can be if what's what's agree to disagree, I think it's good for it's good and bad, right yeah like it's a good thing that he's able to uh detach because he needs to be because he has to be a, a blade for the oppressed, but it's also bad because then he's uh he's having to turn off part of himself that he has to kind of learn how to turn on through trial and error, which kind of leads to some crappy circumstances yeah, so definitely is there anything else you want to like wrap up with Anything you want to talk about Daryl specific before we wrap up the episode?
1: Nothing Daryl specific. I just want to reiterate how excited I am to start this journey. Yeah. You know, we're episode one here and uh, just kind of getting the wheels turning. So yeah, I'm stoked.
0: Yeah. It's been cool. It's been a process, but we're excited to, to start going. Um, I have the story that, you know, I'm going to tell a story, so I'm, I'm not going to pose it as if I like, gets a secret, um, <laughs> but we have a story we want to tell with real fast, just to kind of bring some humility to ourselves a little bit. But both Jeremy and I actually, the way we encountered Red Rising at first was through the audiobook. Um, I was at home. I was a, I'm was a stay-at-home parent currently. But my son was born a few years back, and I wanted something to kind of help pass that time. Because when you have a newborn at home, I, you don't do a lot. Like you're doing you're doing laundry, you're doing dishes, you're just doing, you're kind of just hanging out, you know. And you're up at weird times of the night, et cetera, et cetera. So I just wanted something to pass the time. So I, I found this book series on Audible, and I got it. And I know you did the same thing. When I told you, like, get into this book series, you're like, well, the fastest way for me to, to absorb it all, the first time through was to go audiobook. I know you did that too. But when we decided we were going to do this podcast, when we, I called you and said, let's do this. You said, you know, a few days later, like I'm in, we went and had uh, we went and got Indian food, but on the car ride there out of the blue, <laughs> you just, when <laughs> you turned to me, you were like, Hey man, um, so I totally thought that his name was not his name. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna let you say it because I oh, want to boy. embarrass you a little bit more. So you're like, I was like, what are you talking about? And so you 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 thought because of the accent, which is an Irish accent of the narrator in the audiobook, you thought his name was not Daryl, but it was what? Daryl. Daryl. You yeah. thought his name was Daryl. <laughs> which I immediately like I just laughed. I was like in the car, I'm just laughing. But the funny thing about that was that. If you, I just like kind of like the picture. It's like, let's just say like, Severo and Mustang and Cassius and
1: Daryl. Like, like, it's like, that has no place. Um, it just like, it sounds so random, but. Well, I thought Pierce Brown was crazy. I'm like, this is a terrible name for a sci-fi protagonist. Yeah, for sure. How long did it take you to realize that you were wrong? Uh, that's even more embarrassing. It was like late in the Institute when I finally, it clicked in my head. I was like, wait still, a second, they said Darrow. Yeah, you, I, <laughs> like, I still
0: think it's funny. Um, But yeah, so we now know it's So, and now I'm glad you're on the train. Thank you. Anyway, so that's episode one of Hell Reaper. Until next time, see you soon. Thanks to Pierce Brown for writing the beloved Red Rising series. A special thanks to Tim, our engineer and sound designer. Check out his music on Spotify by looking for the link in our podcast description. And thanks to all our contributors who made this show possible.
1: If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your respective podcast platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Pod, and you can email us at HailReaperPod at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, please take a look on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash HailReaper. Until next time, from my co-host Philip, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for listening.